So our key scripture for today uh, is from Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, right here in the middle of a great chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. Hear now God's word. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom, by that spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers. The flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So in our ongoing series on Grow Closer to God, today's sermon is Sure of Salvation. Sure of Salvation. Are you sure? Let me just be really honest with you. Are you sure? Are you sure? Is your spouse sure? Are your children, grandchildren sure? Sure of salvation. Being sure of salvation is a prerequisite, a, a condition precedent to growing closer to God. You are not going to grow closer to God if you're just, you know, like with an internet connection or with my C Spire connection, sometimes you get that wheel turning and there's no advance. Y'all ever experienced that? with a connection, okay? <laughs> it's kind of like, if, if you're just one of those spinning wheels that keeps running around like, I don't know, I'm not sure where I am with God, I don't know what's going on, then you're never going to grow closer to God. And then secondly, being sure of salvation frees, sets free God's children to grow closer to him. So that's it's, it's like, if you don't get off, you know, home plate, you're never, you're gonna, never going to advance. But if you allow yourself to receive the gospel and to believe in the gospel in Jesus Christ, being sure of salvation frees God's children to grow closer to him and to grow closer to each other. Because you remember what it means to be a Christian is to be in Christ and in his church, in his body. Right? It's not a, a solo thing. It's not an individualistic thing to be a Christian. We're called to Christ. And then what's the central command Jesus gives us as basic Christians is to love one another in the same way he first loved us. So in other words, if you're actually saved, if you're actually a Christian, you're going to be in a, a growing relationship with Jesus and with fellow believers. You're gonna be an active, you know, every Sunday, every Wednesday, every kind of engaged member of his church, not just simply showing up, but fruitfully loving other Christians in the body. So being sure of salvation frees God's children to grow closer to him and to grow closer to each other. J.C. Ryle, great 18th century, he's an Anglican bishop, but a reformed oriented writer, uh, wrote this. He says that faith is the root and assurance the flower. Faith is the root, but assurance is the flower. For instance, you know, my, my mom in remembrance of my dad's birthday, which is today, gave these beautiful roses and flowers over here. But the only way those roses happen, like you can, you can have a root in the ground, but the question is, 
Is there flowering? Is there flourishing going on? Faith is the root. Assurance is the flower. Doubtless, Ryle says, you can never have the flower without the root. But it's, it's no less certain, in other words, it is certain, that you may have the root, but not the flower. No flowering going on. And, and tragically, unfortunately, there's some people who are actually, I mean, not just say they're Christian, they actually are Christian, but there's no flowering going on. Whereas Jesus says, look, if you abide with me, you're going to bear polycarpus, much fruit. Okay? So Ryle goes on and says this, faith is life. And how great a blessing. I mean, who can tell the gulf between life and death? In other words, I'd definitely better, much rather be in eternal life in Jesus Christ. But then he goes on and says this, Yet life may be weak, sickly, unhealthy, painful, trying, anxious, burdensome, and joyless to the very end. I mean, tragically, again, there are some people who are actually believers in Jesus who live a joyless, anxious life in the faith. And that just doesn't make sense, does it, if you actually think about God? And, and so Ryle goes on and says this, so faith is life, but listen, assurance is more than life. Assurance is health, strength, power, energy, beauty. And I have good news for us. That's God's will for us. <laughs> That's the way Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it, what? Abundantly. I, I, that's, the way I, I, that's, that's what it means to be with Jesus. And this is God's will, is that his children be sure of salvation, grow close to him. Not a distant thing, like I'm not sure about God, you know, I just kind of want to keep my space over here. But God, grow close to God and flourish. That's God's will. As the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things that you... Let me just emphasize this. In the Greek, that's a, that's a second person plural. So in the South, we would say y'all. Uh, the Apostle John says, I write these things so that y'all uh, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that y'all, why did I write this? John says, so that you may know. Know. Let me repeat that. So that you may know that you have eternal life. You are sure. Uh, the, the prince of Baptist preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said, no believer should be content with simply hoping and trusting. We should ask the Lord, in other words, pray for this. Here's your prayer for this week, right? Ask the Lord to lead us on to full assurance so that matters of hope become matters of certainty. Are you sure? God's will is that you be sure and set free in the good news of Jesus. So the basis of our assurance, what, what would that basis be? Our basis of assurance is God's word. God gives us his word. God gives us his word. God gives us his word. Um, ultimately in his word coming to us in Jesus Christ, his son. God's word written is fulfilled and lived out fully through Jesus, who Jesus is, and what he does, what he has done for us, the person and the perfect work of Christ. And speaking of God's word, 
Our, our reference point for today includes, of course, centrally Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. But let me just pull back and praise and commend to you the entire chapter, one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, Romans chapter 8. You know, we are in football season. If you're watching this and happen to be watching this months from now, I can tell you we're in, in the United States where we play what's called American football, and we are in the midst of football season. But whatever sport you're into, you can probably imagine if it's a team sport, a coach giving the pregame talk. You know, one of the things that sets good coaches apart from mediocre coaches are the coaches who can say the right words. They don't necessarily see, need to say a whole lot, but the message is conveyed you are prepared, you are going to win if you execute the plan and you need to carry on and you need to enjoy yourself today. You've prepared for this, let's do it. That's basically what Paul, the apostle, is giving us in Romans chapter eight. It's kind of like the, the coach talk, the pep talk before the game or before uh, for us, the, the marathon or whatever. It's like, you, you can do this. You are gonna carry through. Uh, Romans eight, is a, an incredible pregame pep talk for the pilgrim, for us in, in the pilgrimage of faith. It is also an amazing testimony to the blessings of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Romans 8 just lays out what, what are actually the new covenant blessings. Okay, this is covenant conversation now in the Bible. New covenant blessings of the Holy Spirit. And Paul, who is telling us that we are under the new covenant now in Jesus Christ. He's referring to the, the covenant under Moses, and he's saying, look, you're, you're not under the covenant under Moses. You, you've been given the new covenant, and you live in that Jew and Gentile alike set free in the new covenant. And he actually lays out multiple covenant blessings that the Holy Spirit assuredly gives us. Okay, you can read through Romans. I encourage you to read through Romans. Just take in Romans 8. But, but there are at least seven prime covenant blessings of the Holy Spirit that Paul lays out for us in Romans 8, which is a testimony to the joy of life, new life in the Spirit. And these include justification, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which leads to the new life. That's second. Number three, sanctification, which leads to obedience. Number four, Adoption, that's what we're focusing on today, the central one. You hear it, this is the central one. Uh, number five, intercession. The Spirit intercedes for us with words that, uh, with groaning that words can't express. Number six, the resurrection that has assured us in Jesus Christ, which leads to our glorification. And then number seven, our sure inheritance. So all those covenant blessings, that's covenant talk now. That's all laid out for us in Romans chapter eight. But again, we're focusing on this central little passage of verses 15 and 16, talking about the blessing of how we're assured in the faith, in the gift and power of assurance. And this comes by what Paul refers to as God's gift of the spirit of adoption or sonship testifying within us that we're children of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, let me remind you kind of Bible and Old Testament 101. In the Old Testament and under the law, 
you need two or three witnesses to establish a fact. Okay? You need two or three witnesses. Jesus refers to this in the New Testament as well. Okay? So what Paul is saying is, this is actually pretty deep and rich stuff. Paul is saying in Romans 8, 16, that of course we have the testimony of God's word. So that's number one. We've already talked about that. But then also we have the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And then we have the testimony of our spirit, okay, our new life spirit in Christ, joining together with the witness of the Holy Spirit. So see, you have the law and the covenant established and secured in that testimony. That's, that's actually what's pretty deep stuff. That's what Paul just said in Romans 8, 16. And, and so in other words, the Holy Spirit joins with the new spirit we have in Christ and assures us and we join in the great acclamation that yes, we are children of God. Um, again, the apostle John in 1 John 5, 10 says, whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. So it's not just an external testimony, it's also within us. Again, the two and three, okay, coming together. Now, then Paul talks here about the spirit of slavery versus the spirit of adoption. He says in verse 15, that you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons. So Paul is contrasting a spirit of bondage. I mean, and that's the terminology he uses. It's a spirit, numa uh, dolores. I mean, it's a spirit of slaves, people who are, as we might say in American lingo, losers. I mean, the guy who's worried about catching the football, so he drops it, okay? He's like, oh, I'm gonna mess up again. Oh, I'm gonna sin again. Oh, I, I, I just can't beat this. It's just my weakness. I'm, you know, Paul says, no, 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 look. And Paul is also saying here, actually explicitly what he's talking about is bondage to legalism under the law. Okay, that's actually what he's talking about biblically here. Legalism, he says, well, you're not under this. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid about your relationship with God. You don't need to be afraid about not performing well and not praying well, not, not living. Look, he says, look, you are not under this spirit of bondage to sin and ultimately to death anymore. He's talked about this in Romans chapter six. He's developing it here further, reminding of this in Romans eight. Um, we included in the assurance today after the confession of sin, uh, what Jesus says exactly consistently with Romans 8 in John chapter 8, picking up at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, I mean, these are people who putatively believe in Jesus. I mean, they believe he's the Messiah, but they're not born again, many of them, okay? They're not born again, okay? Jesus said to Jews who had believed in him, you, if you abide in my word, you are truly then my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's guaranteed, assured. And they answered him, look, hey, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, amen, amen. You're really supposed to pay attention when Jesus says that. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is still a slave to sin. 
if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So in contrast to this bondage to sin and death and losing and worrying about everything and living an anxious life, we have the, the total opportunity of a spirit of belonging, a spirit of belonging to God, of knowing that the Father loves you, of being loved by the Father, a spirit of access and hope and inheritance. Let me ask you again, are you living on that side of the equation? Are you living in the freedom of knowing that God loves you and blesses you? I pray that you are. I wanna invite you to that today. So the spirit of adoption is what we're talking about here. Adoption. Um, in the Old Testament, we are told that God chose a special people, okay, through Abraham, and that these people are, in a sense, adopted by him, I guess you could say. Because when, when God, for instance, sends Moses to Pharaoh in Egypt, he tells Moses to say to Pharaoh, not just let my people go, but he says, Israel's my son, and I want my son. Give my son back to me. The prophets continue this, this theme that Israel is in a sense the adopted son of, of God, Hosea, Jeremiah, etc. Now then Jesus in the New Testament moves us to a whole nother level. He teaches us to know God, our Father in heaven, as our Father in heaven, and to pray to God as our Father. In other words, his Father, his true Father within the Trinity becomes our Father through him. That's, that's the way Jesus teaches us to pray. He doesn't say, when you pray, pray like this. Uh, God, if you're up there somewhere, look, I don't really want to bother you too much, but in case... No, 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 that's not the way we pray. He says, pray like this, our Father. Notice the plural, we're called together as the church to pray this, right? As, as members of the body. But in Romans, in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, as well as his letter to the church in Ephesus, and his letter to the church in Galatia, Paul moves this to a whole nother conversational level. In other words, he follows up on what Jesus has said and infuses the analogy to Greek and later Roman laws related to adoption, okay? You don't have this kind of law in the Hebrew Bible, okay? In the Hebrew Bible, you have levirate marriage and some other things that provide for, you know, fatherless children, okay? But you don't, there is not a term in the Hebrew Bible for adoption the way there is in the New Testament. Paul, in these three letters, Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians, brings in a language that is nowhere else in the entire New Testament. I mean, nowhere else. It's only in those letters. The, we are Theseus. We are Theseus, okay? And it's language that says, you have a pneuma, we are Theseus. Paul says, you have a spirit of sonship, of being adopted as sons. Now, this rings true to Roman folks, you know, in, in the church in Rome, to Ephesians, to Galatians, because they live in that Greco-Roman world. And adoption was very common. You carry on a family legacy when you don't have heirs or when you need further heirs by adopting. Famously, most famously in the Roman Empire, Julius Caesar adopted Octavian, who became Caesar's son and later becomes the emperor. And then later on in that same story continuing, right? 
Augustus, he, he becomes known as Augustus. He's, he's the Caesar. Augustus is the Caesar when Jesus is born. Later on, man, Augustus or Octavian does not like Tiberius, but he doesn't have any choice. And he needs an heir to carry on the household, the Caesar household, as well as the empire. And so he eventually caves and adopts Tiberius. Tiberius is the Roman emperor during Jesus's public ministry. So you see what I'm saying? The, the Roman people in the Mediterranean world, they understand about this uh, Greek and later Roman law about adoption. And here's the way it works, basically. Somebody who is not naturally, not by nature, part of the family becomes a full part of the family. Somebody who is not naturally an heir becomes an heir by a gracious move from the one who adopts. And what Paul says is that's exactly through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit what God does for every single Christian. And therefore, we know we have a place in the household, we become children of the household, and we will be heirs. That's why he uses this language of sonship. By the way, this means women and men, okay? Because he goes on and says, you know, we're all children of God, right? The, the, the Spirit bears witness. But what he's talking about is the inheritance, okay? Both our present belonging and the inheritance that is to come. As James Denny in his commentary on Romans says, we have not just the status, but also the heart of children. I mean, we know, we know. And that's, that's the deeper thing that Paul is saying here. So back to Spurgeon and back to what I want to encourage you to pray right now in worship here. If you're watching online and as we head into this week, ask the Lord to lead you to full assurance like Spurgeon talks about. You don't have to be the spinning wheel, never advancing. You can be set free and flourish in a life of faith as a child of God. Ask the Lord to lead you on to full assurance so that matters of hope become for you in your heart and in your life matters of certainty. Ultimately, we are invited and empowered to pray in the spirit of the Son. You received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba and Father. Um, yeah, and I've got them parallel here so you can see this. You received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, that's Aramaic for daddy. Okay, that's Jesus's, you know, heart language, Aramaic. Abba, daddy, and pater, Greek for father, that the head of the household. Okay. And then look at this. God has sent the spirit of his son. So you see that? The spirit of adoption is the same as spirit of the son. Everybody see that? And then look at this. Into our hearts. So we received it. Who gave it to us? Well, Galatians tells us that in case you missed the point. God gave it to us. And the spirit of adoption is the same as knowing that Jesus is within us, testifying within us by his spirit that we belong. Okay? And so how do we pray as people in whom Christ testifies that we belong? Well, we pray exactly like he does and he did. This is what Paul is telling us. And I, I agree with James Gunn on this 
interpretive point, that this is consistent with the testimony that in the earliest decades of earliest Christianity, the Christians, a small persecuted minority, especially when they were going through trials and tribulations. Ever gone through a trial and tribulation? Maybe now. They would join together as the church and pray exactly like they knew their master and savior did. They would come together and they would cry out, Abba! And Father. You don't get a lot of matching notes from the Gospels and specific language of Jesus from the Gospels into Paul. Paul is writing to a different audience for different purposes. He supplements the Gospels. But when you do get a direct quote from the Gospel, we're really supposed to pay attention in Paul's letters. And where is Paul quoting? Well, you know it, right? Remember Jesus in Gethsemane? For instance, in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, you know, Jesus tells his disciples, pray, pray, my soul is sick unto death. Remember, he's, he's being prepared to be arrested and go to the cross now. This is the night before Jesus dies. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. What God's word is telling us in Romans is even and especially when we are confused and struggling and persecuted and have no other way out, we can cry out to our Father and know that he hears and he will guide us through, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the way our master, our savior prayed and we're called to join by the power of his spirit and testimony within us to pray in the same way. I've never been on a battlefield, but I've been in a number of situations where folks were dying and I'm talking to them and they're praying, in some cases praying. And in a couple situations, including one with a shooting victim, I was so struck in a couple situations when the person cries out for their parent or parents. And they never cry out just once, do they? They didn't in my situation. It's like, Mama! Mama! Abba! Father! Full, open trust, laying your soul before the Lord. This is what Paul, this is what God's word is talking about. In the power of God's spirit, we are invited all the way to the throne of grace to cry out, to the one we know as our daddy and our father. Assurance, being sure of salvation is impossible if you are alienated from God and from the fellowship, the communion of his people. But if you will yield yourself to the grace and power of his spirit within you, believe and his testimony is sure within you and within us as we come together, truly to pray as Jesus teaches us to pray and to flourish, sure of salvation. Come to him and let's pray together. Be set free in his Holy Spirit, be sure. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit now and forever, amen.